Hi there, you're listening to the V-Suit Podcast with myself, Chris Dearden, Ed Serwin and Christian Moan. This is an audio-only podcast as I'm sure you don't want to watch three nerds staring at a webcam. You might ask yourself, what is V-Suit? It was an idea started as doubtless many were over a beer at Copen- in Copenhagen during VL- VMworld 2010. For a virtualization podcast from us end users, why soup? Well, why not? Start off by introducing myself. My name is Chris Dearden. Uh, I work for a large financial company. Um, I've been a system administrator and infrastructure architect for around four years. I'm also a blogger at jfvi.co.uk, and you can contact me on Twitter at Chris Dearden. My name is uh, Ed Serwin. I'm a systems engineer for a large medical devices company in Zurich, Switzerland, Um, relocated from Chicago, USA, and I'm there to build up a large infrastructure for virtualizing an entire SAP, uh, an entire physical SAP infrastructure in Chicago and move it across the ocean about 3,000 miles. Um, You can reach me at eserwin, uh, at eserwin uh, on Twitter. And I guess blog on virtual insanity from time to time. Hi, uh, Christian Moon um, from Norway. Um, I'm currently the network manager for a semi-large Norwegian shipping company. And I have been for about seven years now. Uh, we use uh, basically a virtualization first uh, strategy. We virtualize anything uh, if we can. I have been doing so for the last four years or thereabouts. Uh, we have the head office in Norway. We have crewing offices in Poland, Romania, and Croatia, as well as about 20 vessels around the world at any given time, uh, which also requires their own uh, infrastructure. Uh, you can reach me at uh, on Twitter at Hubble, which is spelled with an zero for some strange reason, and uh, on my blog, vninja.net. Um, yeah, speaking of the infrastructure on the boat, I've heard that uh, yeah, you have to deploy some ESX hosts on your vessels. Uh, yeah, we're in the planning planning stages of that as as uh, as we speak. Basically, uh, what we're doing or trying to do is to set up a way to automate the, the deployment of ESXi on board the vessels. Um, which uh, all of them are, are connected via a, a VSAT. Uh, satellite-based uh, communication t- uh, broadband, if you will, but very high latency uh, stuff. Uh, so what we have done, in, and, and, and uh, we're trying to to get completely automated out there, is basically automated ESXi installs that don't require vCenter or Enterprise Plus licensing. Uh, so we, we won't be using host profiles. We'll be using other deployment methods. Um, so the uh, the whole uh, project basically revolves around automating ESXi, uh, installing a automated setup of Windows Server 2008 with domain, with uh, update services and Windows deployment services for the Windows 7 clients on board, uh, as well as AppV packaged applications for for the uh, seafarers out there. Um, as far as the uh, the ESXi host and order configuring of those, uh, we have developed uh, a, a small uh, a small deployment virtual machine that we carry uh, with us on board uh, that runs uh, on uh, VMware Workstation 
that basically just does a PXE-based install of ESXi and then uses PowerShell to automate the entire configuration of that particular vessel's ESXi host, which then again deploys all of the, the other components. How do you get around um, when using the free version of ES, ESXi um, that PowerCLI is read-only? Or are you deploying it as um, with a temporary license so that you can write, you know, write to the, um, you know, write to the host via a, a PowerCLI interface? Or yeah, that's what basically what we're doing is just utilizing the uh, the uh, license that you get with uh, ESXi. Uh, so you have sixty days or whatever. Uh, and then use PowerCLI to just configure it. We, this is a one one time only requirement for us. We'll be backing up the the VMs after that. So what we're doing is uh, is using the free version, but using the uh, temporary license to get the PowerCLI stuff going. That's that's quite cunning because uh, obviously um, otherwise the, there's some fairly you know, heavy limitations of the the free version. What did you use about um, with the the Windows boxes? Did you uh, sort of go for System Center or anything like that, or is it again just the basic Windows deployment services? Uh, we uh, uh, for the, uh, the the main control on board. We're we're just uh, we have set up a, a, a generic VM with no actual. Active Directory, Domain Controller, or any of those roles, and then we script the deployment of those roles uh, when the server starts the first time on board the vessel. So basically, we all, all it does is ask you a couple of questions about which vessel is it, the vessel name, and which, which uh, IP uh, setup it should have, and then the rest of it is just scripted via various ways of automating installations of, for instance, uh, Active Directory. And have you done any testing? Um, have you done any testing with the latency in vCenter? Yeah, I, I have, uh, uh, but not. Uh, we have emulated the uh, the uh, the line conditions we get. Uh, and to be honest, vCenter client over a thousand milliseconds latency, wide area network link. Um, that's um, not very fun to work with. Over it's a, uh, extremely over, slow. Over a thousand milliseconds. Yeah. Wow. I so you, you you might have some some pretty decent bandwidth out there, uh, even if you're in the middle of the ocean somewhere. But the latency is what basically kills you. So you you need some kind of monitoring system that gathers the data uh, over a period of time, and then you can just look at it locally instead of trying to do everything in vCenter from the central location. But we, we also deploy the, uh, the VMA, VMA uh, virtual machine for administrative uh, tasks uh, and so on. So we have that available if we, if we need it for something. Okay, you don't use a centralized VMA then? No. Okay. Is, is that automated, the, an automated deployment as well? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a part of the Power CLI script that I have wow. uh, developed that basically takes a couple of predefined VMs from a predefined store and just copies them over to the to the new host as soon as it's uh, finished installing. That, that's pretty cool. So you can walk on with a laptop, admittedly a laptop with a, a reasonable yeah. amount of storage on it, 
um, hook it up to your network infrastructure? How does that work out? Do you have yeah, is network infrastructure just, controlled by the hardware? So DHCP and DNS and things, is that all on separate something else? Or? Uh, what we're doing is basically doing this as a new deployment on every vessel. So, so what we do is just connect the, the new server directly to the laptop with a Cat5 cable. That's uh-huh. it. And then when it boots up the first time, it starts setting up all of the, uh, after the ESX install is done and after the configuration via PowerCLI is done, uh, what happens is we disconnect the laptop from, uh, the net, from the server and connect it to the network and then fire up the first VM that basically configures everything else they need on board. Hmm. That's, uh, that's nice. Uh, that's, so what sort of, have you uh, done a timed run yet of, uh, uh, start to finish from having no infrastructure on board to having you know, the works that you need? Uh, yeah, in our lab it takes about two hours or something. That's about it. It's not bad. And most of that's just waiting, so that's yeah, go and make a, a cup of coffee and go for a wander around the boat. And yeah. By the time you've done a lap or two of the boat, then you're, uh, you're all done. Yeah, and then you just reboot the, uh, the uh, clients on board and just PXE boot those from the uh, Windows deployment services and then They'll install as well. So you do this when the boats come to port? Yeah, or while we're going somewhere. It doesn't really matter. We don't need to be online to to actually get the installation done. But normally, yeah, the the installations are done while in port. Okay. And um, for the automation, you looked into uh, how many different options did you look into? I didn't actually look into that many options because uh, PowerCLI basically gives gave me everything I needed straight out of basically out of nowhere. So PowerCLI is uh, extremely powerful, and there's a lot of a, re- a lot of good resources out there that helps you concoct something like this and put it together, even if you're not a developer in in the first place. Yeah, that's what I like about it is I can um, I can barely write code. And be able to go on the internet and find basically what I need, and within within maybe you know five minutes of looking around or looking at Alan Rainoff's website. Basically. Yeah, um, I was I was just starting to write a blog post about it uh, actually uh, a few hours ago, trying to outline outline everything, and it, it should be pretty cool. Yeah, for automation, you know, with looked at a way that you're automating a deployment, but you know, um, a lot of people have already got their environments deployed. Um, and I guess for some people, you know, if you spend a lot of time on the, the deployment side of it, but you have a fairly static environment, then that time might not be so well spent. Uh, what else, you know, what else do you think you could automate on a more day-to-day basis? Um, I think like a lot of administration can be automated. A lot of stuff that uh, normally non-engineers um, working on infrastructure can be automated because we all know we have a lot of, uh, I'm not sure, but I have a lot of problems with uh, operations guys creating creating virtual machines that uh, I don't agree with and et cetera. Do you, uh, you guys experience any of that? I'm working in a, such a small environment that uh, basically uh, everything is done by me anyway. So if someone screws up and creates VMs that aren't authorized or whatever, it's basically me. Um, so 
but but there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff you could do with do with automation, especially reporting wise and and whatever. You could look at the the power packs from from Alvernoof, uh that has a lot of really cool um, reporting uh, abilities. Like you could report if a VM has snapshots, and you can schedule the the whole health check script that he has created and and, and get a an overview in your of your infrastructure every morning in your mailbox, which uh, could potentially highlight a lot of hidden issues in your uh, infrastructure that you weren't actually aware, aware of at all without automation or paying very close attention. Yeah, with um, PowerCLI, I have an automated uh, script that runs every day that looks for um, snapshots and orphan snapshots. Because we've had a we've had a few issues in one of our bigger clusters with uh, about 300 VMs before, and that's that's really helpful because we can automatically start to uh, remedy the problem before it becomes a problem. Orchestrator, yeah, um, never actually used it, but it um, I know a bit about the company uh, that VMware purchased it from. It's actually a Swiss company about maybe 15 minutes from my house here called Dunes. Um, they they just m made an automation product and VMware purchased it for um, automating a lot of a lot of things within vSphere. However, I, I've never really I don't really have much experience with it because the um, a lot of the a lot of the scripts you have to write and a lot of the automation that you have to, a lot of, it's like a whole other programming language. Uh, I've heard of some people using it really intensely. However, to be 100% honest, I'm not sure if it's going to stay on now that they're so, that they're, that PowerCLI is such a, a good automation um, option. But a, uh, Anybody else have any experience with Orchestrator? Not really, mainly because of lack of uh, Java skills. The the one that seems to be getting some attention within my environment is Microsoft System Center of Harless. Um, it's a product that Microsoft purchased and are sort of you know releasing as part of System Center uh, in the not too distant future, um, and it's a a general orchestration product. Uh, the way it works is you, you know, you've got various plugins and power packs for it, and notably a VMware one. And we've had some uh, success creating a sort of a self-provisioning portal with it. Um, you know, not quite to the the full you know, private quote unquote private cloud scale, but it's getting pretty close. Um, and the integration with SharePoint and some other sort of bits and pieces on it. Um, that, so that seems to be getting some traction. Hmm. I know that Microsoft just purchased some sort of um, some sort of data center automation company, and um, they they're actually giving that piece away for free with normal Windows licenses. You guys heard about that at all? No, no, I haven't. Um, that sounds like a real Microsoft trick, though, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let, let's find what everyone else's secret source is, and we'll give it away. Uh, it's called Opalis, actually. Uh, Opalis, yeah, that's, Opalis. that's yeah, yeah, that's the. This, I wouldn't go as far as say they're giving it away, but at the moment it's very cheap. 
Yeah, very um, cheap. Whereas my my company had a look at it maybe three years ago. Yep. And the price was extreme compared to uh, compared to Microsoft <laughs> after oh, the purchase. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's not bad. Um, it is very drag and drop. Sorry, I've, uh... Besides Power CLI, besides all that, what tools do you guys use on a day to day basis for administration? I mean, are there any uh, any tools you found that you really really like? I mean, I know a lot of times we try those tools, and you know, maybe a week or so, and then we just leave them installed on our machine, never never to be touched again. Um, well, I suppose it's not really much of an automation tool, but the uh, the V kernel product suite. Um, so uh, that's one of the big ones. Um, looking at that's more capacity management than day to day automation. Although it does have some sort of scripted remediation for right sizing of VMs, um, which is it's something that at the moment. It's nice to get the recommendations. I don't think we'd uh, currently uh, automate them. Yeah, I'm having an issue in my in one of my clusters right now where I'm finding a lot of uh, uh, incorrectly uh, aligned machines um, set to old offsets or not set to offsets, at, you know, set to default. And I was actually I was looking in the V optimizer for. Uh, for trying to trying to optimize trying to uh, align all these in one chunk not sure uh, you still have to power down the machine but it seems like the only real option right now to do to be able to align an actual machine uh, without blowing away the hard drive and recreating it actually Ricky Al Kasim from Veeam is doing a lot of stuff uh, for alignment I yeah, on, on he's Twitter even uh, he's done some videos. Uh, yeah. I'm just trying to find. I can't remember what his uh, website is. Uh, I think it's. I want to say Virtualized Planet. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Really? I'll, yeah, I'll have to check into that then because I'm seeing a lot of. Um, I remember NetApp used to recommend an alignment of 32, and when most of the other storage arrays I use is 64. Yeah. And some of the virtual machines we carried over are 32, starting to see some performance issues on them. Want to get them aligned to uh, 64. Maybe we can post this link as, uh, if you guys find the links, we can post it. As yeah, well. it's on uh, virtualizedplanet.com. Okay. Uh, and uh, Ricky's uh, put together some really nice videos um, around using so Gparted and a couple of other little bits and pieces, and it's it's extremely slickly put together. I think uh, Ricky's uh, background in uh, education and as a trainer really kind of shows through there. Yeah, I'm looking into maybe being able to doing 200 aligning 200 VMs at once. <laughs> That's a lot. I guess the whole thing with alignment, I find. It's perceived sometimes as a silver bullet, and for a, a given individual machine, I don't think it is. If you've got 200 of them, yeah, the, the cumulative points of percentage uh, performance you'll get from uh, fixing 200 machines, that'll show. Uh, I looked at doing it, and the only things that it was really worth doing on were the 2003 VMs, and that number is dropping. If we 
hadn't sort of standardized on 2008 and the running now, the majority of uh, Windows 2008, then um, it, it might have been different. But at present, we just decided not to bother. Yeah, it's the same thing we uh, we actually decided to do as well. We have we had a bunch of 2003 servers uh, unaligned, of course, but basically, as we transition all of them to 2008 anyway, we're getting rid of the the extra I/O loads based on the the unalignment of the the uh, hard drive. So that's uh, that's basically turning into a non-issue uh, pretty pretty quickly, actually. But, but of course, I, I don't have 200 unaligned VMs either, so yeah. there's a difference there. 200 unaligned VMs when the the alignment offset is supposed to be 64K and it's 32. That means each of these VMs are producing about two uh, two IOs for every one they should. Yeah. And stay, I'm starting to see a little trouble there. So that's something we're yeah something we're looking into a tool that yeah a, a final tool to be able to automate all of it yeah yeah without working every weekend for the next year <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's that's a point of of actually using these tools you know as, as far as automation goes and as far as everything else goes it's basically our need to try and automate things that we usually would have to do off hours or spend a lot of time actually doing. Uh, uh, so of course everything you can automate and use, uh, proper tools to, to remedy you, you free up time you can use to, for anything else. Yeah, it's great. Actually, since I've worked in, in virtualization, I think I've worked the least work the least weekends that I've that I've ever worked being a systems admin slash engineer due to all the different automation and uh, and uh, things like that. Do you think that's because it's that much easier to um, actually sort of stick to the principle of if you have to do something more than once, then automate it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, if you, if you, if you have the time, well, at my work, it's basically, you have a project and instantly you have to move on to the next one. So if you have time to automate it, then perfect. You save yourself time. Otherwise, uh, just winds up, uh, just winds up like another normal system, another normal server in a data center, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think that's sometimes just down to the way that people work mm -hmm. uh, as to what you can automate, what you can't. Um, there might well be 20 different people across the world um, who would be um, you know, doing the same job, but if you don't talk to those other 20 people, then you don't know. You're all repeating the work. Yep, exactly. The, the automation side and uh, things we used to cut down just day-to-day -day tasks. Um, one of the big classic day-to-day -day tasks for an administrator is backup. Um, how do you guys uh, cover some of that? Um, well, we use we use Veeam. We use Veeam mainly for much of our small machines. Uh, works really great. Um, we have a lot of small size. We saved so many tapes. Uh, we saved so much processing time and issues from agent backups but honestly for some of our bigger servers we do we do kind of a half veeam half uh, agent blend where we have where we just take the 
we take the OS volumes with Veeam and we take the uh, database volumes with uh, some sort of uh, third-party uh, third, third database like uh, thing like Redgate or Lightspeed, if you've heard of those. Yep, uh, yep. So yeah, we yeah we we also use uh, use Veeam for for backups. Uh, we actually back up our Veeam uh, backups over uh, to a secondary site uh, and have them replicated there instead of doing standard backups to a local disk system, and that works out re- really really well. Uh, you can just fire up a, uh, the backup VM on the secondary site, and we're up and running pretty quickly. Um, but we don't use it for everything. We have also some agent-based uh, backup systems for, especially for the uh, the Lotus Domino uh, based infrastructure that we have, because um, for some reason Lotus and Domino doesn't seem to want to integrate with uh, VSS. So we, we we can't be sure that we have uh, have consistent backups if we just do Veeam-based backups of those databases. Oh, yeah, that could be messy. Um, yeah. How do you rationalize running multiple backup systems? Uh, one of the, the risks to us was highlighted of you know, having multiple paths to back up a machine uh, could lead to a scenario where you're pretty certain your application's being backed up with product A, and the product A team are fairly certain it's being backed up with product B. Um, and it actually turns out that you've been backed up with neither. And everyone, so it gets all very nasty and finger pointy. Um, you know, it's, do you think that sort of that there needs to be a better set of controls and checks in place to uh, well, monitor yeah. how you're backing up? Or? Yeah, I'd like to see everything through one pane of glass. I'm in the middle of an issue right now where we just um, implementing new backup for our uh, SAP environment. We're doing. We're doing. We're using maybe three different products <laughs> just to do that, and it yeah, it does increase the amount of time that we have to work on it. But my idea on on backups are one size does not fit all. It would be great to see everything through one pane of glass, but for the time being, my thoughts on backups are until some product comes along that does everything, um, I need to split it up. Yeah. Well, I think there are products that will do everything. It's just they're not in your budget, and they certainly weren't in ours either. Um, <laughs> you know, certain things like Tiskly, um, NetApp, uh, not NetApp, um, Net Backup with every plugin known to man um, purchased yeah. for it. Yeah, that will back up everything. But unless you've got half a million dollars lying about that you just fancy wasting, that you're not going to implement it when you can get three solutions that'll do that product for a fifth of the cost. And the problem is with a lot of those those all-in-one solutions is they're still behind the they're still behind in time. They're still using VCB, and me personally, I'm not a big fan of VCB. Yeah, yeah. They're, you by choosing that one size fits all the, the you know the so-called panacea. Um, you're preventing yourself from choosing best in breed. Mm-hmm. Because best in breed, by its very nature, can't do everything. It has to really focus on that one, and that's what companies like Veeam do very well. And by being at that cutting edge and being their best in breed, um, they just have to. I think it, there would be some intelligence around 
persuading Veeam to work better and tighter integrated with other vendors. However, from the other vendors' point of view, they're not going to be happy about doing it either. No, not at all. But um... it kind of get, it gets into a situation for for larger companies, I guess. For us, it's uh, it's uh, no big deal if we have to use two or three, for that matter, different backup software to back up different things. Uh, basically, it all boils down to that it's my head on the line no matter what. Uh, I'm, I'm responsible for the infrastructure, the backups, the networking, the just about everything. So it's my it's my problem anyway. Uh, so it just means I have to dig around a couple of more places every morning to make sure the the backups have have uh, run as a schedule. But other than that, it's not our environment isn't that big that we have team A and team B and whatever. So uh, okay. which is also also something that. I don't think I would have been able to manage all of this if it if we didn't have it virtualized. So that's also something to be said for the the whole virtualization thing is that you can actually manage with fewer resources. Even though I probably shouldn't say that because I'm pushing pushing our company to get more resources into our department. But, <laughs> uh, hopefully they won't be listening to this though. <laughs> you never know. You no, never, you never know. know. That's true. Um, but yeah, I think just the the risk of um, sort of management application sprawl um, it is there, and particularly when you're trying to put um, pick best in breed, you can end up with this massive array of applications that you might personally be a champion for and know exactly how to get the best out of them, and then for them to be very, uh, you know. Um, get a lot of value out of from you personally. But if you have to train up a colleague or you have a new starter or you know, for, for other reasons, there's a lot of applications you then have to get people on board and supporting. And it's personally, it's one of the problems I've found where I might have bought an application into the environment, championed it, really pushed it to management, shown, shown them all of the really clever stuff you can do with it. But I might have colleagues the other side of the world who they've probably used a different product to their previous employer, so they're not so keen on the product that I've picked and trying to sell internally the, uh, the those best-in-breed solutions, I'm finding is uh, it's quite a struggle. Yeah, sure. To management, for me, I've found it easy to sell multiple, uh, to sell multiple different backup products just because a lot of times they just worry about the bottom line. And uh, it's pretty easy to say, hey, everything's cheaper and I can do it better this way. But I've come across actually some uh, app owners that, that have complained, like because some of our app owners check the backups and they say, oh, we have to, um, yeah, we have to check in two more places now because of this. This costs us an extra X amount of hours. And um, yeah, most of the time, uh, management looks at the numbers and says, Okay, spend a spend a couple more hours looking there. So, do you find things like uh, Veeam Enterprise Manager help you along with that? Veeam Enterprise Manager, yeah, is pretty good for you know checking to make sure the Veeam backups are done. Because yeah, personally, that's me and a couple other guys on my team's responsibility. But when it comes to the SQL backups and stuff, that's a whole other team. Yeah. 
So we basically have to rely that uh, our part's done and their part will also be done. Indeed, you need to need to have the two in place at once. There is uh, one thing I would really love to see Veeam try to do, though, and that's move kind of into the physical backup, backup of physical servers, where they would actually do a sort of a P2V backup of a physical box and store it virtually for disaster recovery uh, kind of scenarios. Yeah, like an old school Norton Ghost type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Just back up that physical box, put it on a uh, on a VSphere or or data store somewhere, and I could just power it on if I need to. Yeah, and be able to do uh, incremental image mm. like that. Yeah, would be great. That's true. Yeah, I think it's something that they know because every blogger I know uh, asks for the same feature. Um, I think they've just got to work out the best way to do it without. Uh, diluting you know, the fact that they, they do virtualization very well, um, yeah. or backups of virtual machines. Um, do they want to be known as something that does backups of VMs fantastically and something that, well, I suppose if you have to back up a physical server, it'll do it, but um, you know, can it be something they can rely on? Yeah. They have to, if, if they want to move into that space, they, they really need to do it well, well because uh, they have a reputation to take care, care of as well and that and that's it's a good reputation they they worked hard to get or they need to really merge or partner with somebody yeah yeah i, I think so dig, digging into the wallet is probably going to be a good way but i don't know offhand any uh, any startups doing that sort of thing in the physical world um and i'm sure if i did i would probably I'd love to uh, drop the theme guys a mail and go, hey, you should buy these guys. They are they're great. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I love, you know, I try to keep up with a number of startups and it's it's hard work. Um, and thankfully, you know, things like Tech Field Day and just you know, getting out there at the user groups, you do find out about some of these new startups. Um, and there are some people with some fantastic ideas. And some of them, they're looking to develop those ideas so that they've got a product to sell. Some of them are looking to develop these ideas, so they've got a, a company to sell, um, and you know it's a, a bit of bit of both. Um, but the the one underlying thing is just you know, a real passion and focus for their product. A little quick thing to finish up on of maybe you know it's something we could probably talk for hours about, um, but just a. You know, is is 2000 uh, more importantly you know it's everyone says 2000 the next is going to be year of edi but is this how is it going to be the year of the stack is it going to be you know um thinking of of the your data center not as the number of racks and number of servers but is it going to be the number of v blocks and flex pods you've got um i, I don't know i'm i'm we're kind of touching on the whole Cloud thing, which yeah. basically no really one really knows. No, I, I don't want. I don't want to either because it's a bloody mess. All of it. Yep. Mess, I mean, massively. What the uh, fuck is a cloud? Uh, no one really knows. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no one really knows, and everyone's tried to persuade everyone else that they actually know what it is. Yeah. And and basically, no one. Everyone has their own opinion about it, so it, it, it's no unified thing to to talk about, really. Yeah, I actually. I don't know. 
heard someone else say that in their estimation was in 2011 that the cloud was going to be more def- have an actual definition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> is 2011 going to be the year of definitions? Yeah. <laughs> I quite like I that. I say it's infrastructure. It's just infrastructure. Yeah. Cloud is what it always was. Like, a user doesn't know about an app, but he just knows he uses an application somewhere in a data center that could be defined as a cloud, whether it's a physical server, a virtual server, it doesn't... uh... Yeah. It's just, you know, that taken out to the next scale, really. Um, And the... It's kind of like your fractal perspectives. If you're looking very close and then you take a step back and then another step back, the picture stays the same. Yeah. so um, I, I don't think anyone cares about no. the cloud that much, basically, because uh, for, at least not the, at, at least not the the end users. They they don't give a damn. They don't care. No, no It doesn't matter not. for them where where their data is or where it's accessed from, as long as they get access to it. And it's fast enough for them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but for us guys, it's, it it has something to say. I, I mean, it, it's it's. Uh, Either we manage it or we manage someone who manages it for us. But other than that, it doesn't really care that care that much where stuff are, uh, where the stuff is. I, I, I mean, well, I don't know. It's a it's a it's a weird thing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's pretty true. That's pretty true. It's uh, you know, for people, do do you care where your Gmail servers are? No, not really. You assume they're secure, whether they are or not. No, it's a different matter. Um, yeah, you won't, so. you won't know until they aren't. So yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a problem with it. You know, you won't know anything uh, until it's actually someone figures out that it isn't secure. No, everything yeah. is deemed secure until it's deemed insecure. So no yes. one knows. Yeah, uh, and it's the same for fault tolerance, like Skype. You know, who'd, who'd have thought Skype could have had an outage? Um, <laughs> well, they're using everyone's bandwidth, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, say, uh, Ed, quick question. I'm guessing, are you, are you recording at the moment? Yeah, um, I did because we were talking cool. some decent stuff. So. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> as long as, I just hate to think that we've done this without anything to sort of particularly no, uh, have a show for it. Um, but yeah, I, I think. The, is there any going to be big changes for people next year? Yeah, there'll be changes on a smaller scale of you know, where they're working. Um, but I think it's going to be more of the same, which is good because the, you know, 2010, I think, was a great year for virtualization and a great year to be working in virtualization. That was 2010 um, and pretty much the, the start of uh, VSuit. Um, let's see what happens in 2011. Uh, thanks okay. for listening to our first podcast. Remember to check for updates on vsoup.net. And until next time, for me, Ed Serwin, uh, tschüss. And for me, Chris Durden, goodbye. And from Chris Durden, hara. And, yeah, there we're good.